0: Earth Jones on speed, News Belch! Auto giant Stellantis announced this week that the Lancia Renaissance is about to begin. Lancia Chief Luca Napolitano says that the Italian brand with a rich heritage will soon be competing in the prestige market. With the first new car being launched as soon as 2024, followed by a string of models including the esteemed Lancia Delta. No doubt this will also be followed four years later by a huge swathe of warranty claims for body rust. Welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. Joining us a little bit later on to talk about some exciting motorsport stuff will be Sarah Leach, but right now on one end of a piece of string is Alex Goy. Hi. And on a different end to a different tension, because it's a slightly different length, so I'm trying to make sure that the signal arrives at the same time, is Zog. Hello. Did you know that's how I'm connecting with you you
1: two? String. Wouldn't the speed of sound on the string be the same, regardless of tension? I was making it up. I'm honestly not sure. I'm going to look this up. Yeah,
0: because the speed of sound is different through different densities, isn't it? So we'll let you know next I week. I would imagine the denser it is, the higher the speed of sound would have to be.
1: I think that's true, but how does that work with a transverse wave rather than a longitudinal wave on a string? I see what you're saying. Yeah, we'll come back to
0: that. We are way off topic already. Should we talk about cars? That's yes. probably a good idea. Let's talk about cars. If there's a theme to this programme, it's the sublime and the ridiculous. And I think you've driven two cars this week, one of which is sublime and the other which is ridiculous. Now, the question
2: is which is which? Tell us about the little one first. The little one. So uh, a few weeks ago, I went to visit the lovely folk at Electrogenic. I saw them last year and had a go in their take on the Porsche 356. And I saw them this year to have a go in their take on the Mini. Now, what Electrogenic does is it takes classic cars, it scans their insides and sees how many batteries and electric motors they can put in it and turned them into electric things. We've
0: talked about their Porsche on the show with you previously, yeah. We're, yes. we're across what they do on the show,
2: yeah. Yeah, so the Porsche was a wonderful thing, but the Mini's the more fascinating, I think, because there are loads of Minis, and people get less het up if you modify a Mini, because, you know, you put in that ridiculous Honda engine, and it'll go a million miles an hour, and everything will be wonderful.
0: Jog and I would agree that we'd have an instant emotional reaction to seeing any proper i'm going to call it that mini and it's affection isn't
2: it it's the yeah. first thing you oh think. yeah absolutely yeah yeah they're lovely little car it's a happy lovable little thing yeah so electrogenic has started converting minis now the one that i drove is called rosie and rosie is one of the small car big city cars she's got
0: a name but
2: you know small car big city does that like tours of london in a mini I didn't, but I do now. You can hire a Mini and you can be given a tour around town. Tourists love it. And so Small Car Big City asked Electrogenic to make one of its Minis electric. Ah. So Rosie the Mini, little red Mini, with a lecky sunroof, which is very sweet, has had its A-series motor removed and in its place something called a Hyper 9 electric motor, which sounds very futuristic. And it's had batteries put in various places... To make it work. Now, what the electrogenic car has is it's mimicked the original car. So this one has about 65 horsepower and it'll do about 100 miles. Electrogenics says well. if you give them enough money, it can have 120 horsepower and 173 pound foot and they can put more batteries in it and it can go further and faster.
0: Fascinating.
2: The really cool thing about this is that it's got a working five-speed manual gearbox. Again, we've talked about having electric cars with gearboxes on it. I'm failing to understand. You've driven it. Yeah. why do you need one what's happening what's it's so much fun like past the thing of the mini was obviously it was fun to drive it was entertaining right, right? Yeah, yeah, engaging, well the yeah. little electrogenic mini replicates that replicates that perfectly Man. so it's you know engine power goes out rotatey thing goes out into a transmission flywheel all that nonsense clutch into first gear it'll spin up to a certain point out and then into second spin up to a certain point you can rev it and it makes noise it goes Voo! it's very funny it's very weird. Listen, next time you drive one of those,
0: I'm going to give you an audio recorder. I want to hear that. that you know what? My, 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 my on producer
2: the on the day had one. I'll see if I can get the sound file off him, because it's a fascinating thing. So we did a film for it for Carfection, which is coming soon. Yeah, so it'll rev and it'll do silly things. But the interesting thing about it, the kind of mind-blowing thing, is you put it into gear as you would a normal car except you put it into first, then you can take your foot off the clutch and it won't stall because, of course, the engine's not producing any movement. It'll only start to move when
1: you put your foot down because it's an on-off switch, essentially. So your reaction to this? Very positive. I mean, this is a great way of, you know, keeping beloved old classics on the road in cities where, for all kinds of reasons, we don't want to and find it harder to keep old petrol-burning vehicles going. Yeah, And yeah, the Mini is an absolutely, you know, as a Brit, as a Londoner, as a fan of the Italian job, those little Minis would be right at the top of my list for perfect candidates to make into modern city cars, modern city cars based on classics. The Fiat 500, as we said before, is another great little city car that would do beautifully as a little electrified runabout. So yeah, I love this. I'm very envious. Alex has been tooling around in it and absolutely cracking. The interesting thing I think, Alex, is,
0: and what I didn't realise, is that this isn't just a kind of a one-off for an experiment. This is, what's the name of the company who do the tours in the minis? Small Car Big City. This is them, Small Car Big City, Mm. trying to find a way of keeping their thing going. Because there are going to be restrictions on them using any internal combustion engine cars in cities very soon. In some way, it's a working vehicle. It's no different to a London bus or a taxi. Do you know what I mean? It's an inner city vehicle, and that is increasingly the sphere of the EV. And the idea that this very futuristic, still to us old guys, vision of transport in London is not just styled, but actually is the original, one of the original greatest city cars ever designed is in some ways, proof of concept. There's an affection for it. And my gosh, as Zog said, that's a great car. That's how it's going to work. It's volume and space efficient.
2: The Electrogenic cars, what they do is they basically take all the oily bits out and put in new bits. They don't restore it. So the owner gives Electrogenic the car in that state and they stop it from being internal combustion and turn it into electric. Now, I will freely put my hands up and say, I don't know the legislation behind it all. I know it's not super clear in the, I had a chat with Dominic Taylor Lane from the Association of Heritage Engineers about this very topic because he doesn't think that these conversions are necessarily a good thing in general. There are two schools of thought. There's the school of thought that perhaps taking an engine out of a car and then turning it into an electric one is a bad thing. Every time I put up a picture of one on my Instagram, the comments are, oh, you can't do that, that's the worst thing in the world. You
0: can do it if you want. Exactly. We're not doing it to everyone. We're doing it to my car.
2: Right, My exactly. feedback to this is, spend your money on what you want. These are all reversible, you can do whatever you want with it. Dominic's point was actually quite salient, in that there is no legislation about this. You can just be a company that bolts lecky things into cars, and... Mm-hmm see what happens i mean look at lunas they do do the full restoration they want to make sure that the cars don't have you know a floor made of rust Mm -hmm. but electrogenic doesn't do that Mm -hmm. so they're not new cars. i think you can register them as alternative powertrains but i'm not entirely sure but you know as a concept i think for the mini especially there's so many of them running around And a lot of people who use them, it's not the family car anymore. You know, I used to have stories of parents and friends and all that going, oh, we used to do a family holiday. Four of us used to cram in the Mini and we used to do a trip down to the south of France. You just don't do that anymore. It's a little city car to run around in. And if you can make that electric, you know, the electronic guys can fit in proper fast chargers and all that, depending on how much money you want to spend, of course. Yeah, yeah. They can fit fast chargers and they can make them mega quick if you want them to be mega quick. Or you can have the case of Rosie, which is, you know, you plug it in overnight and it'll do a full charge. It'll do 100 miles, which is all it needs to do because it will just be tooling around London doing London things with tourists in the back.
0: Citroen announced the price of the Ami
2: in Britain this week, didn't oh, they? Is it £7,995? Oh, 7995 I think, yeah. yeah. The, uh... So I had a man appear in my DMs when that was announced saying, Alex, I thought you'd like to know that Citroen has announced this price and it's far more expensive here than it is in France. And my first reaction was, and what do you want me to do about this? I'm very sorry. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> then a news story went out and I tweeted at Citroen PR and the response seems to have been It's the cheapest it's going to get. Okay, yeah. Good luck. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I know one man's going to cancel his order. The reason I mention this is, is
0: there a price for Rosie, the car you drove? Is there a figure
2: for the conversion, X the car? Outside of the car, they quoted £35,000. Okay, yeah, but you've got an electric Mini. Which is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. You could buy a Mini electric for that yep. money, yeah, yep. you could buy a plethora of other vehicles for that money. We're reaching the point, though, where vehicles like this, electric conversions, you know, a Lunas is £300,000 plus, and then you start throwing bits at it, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We're looking at people who have had these cars for years mm. and want to maybe lessen their carbon footprint yeah you could say you know these are only driven twelve thousand miles a year or thousand miles a year in some cases if that but some people you know they want to do their bit and if that means taking an engine out of a 356 or taking an a series out of a mini and having the car that they've had since they were you know knee high to a grasshopper that's been part of their story their whole lives and changing its makeup
1: then fair play to them let them do it Yeah, I mean, this is always going to be a niche thing for the enthusiast, for somebody who has an emotional connection to a particular vehicle or to a particular type of car, to a particular type of classic. And they want a little electric vehicle that isn't what everybody else is getting. They want this different thing. So, yeah, it's a niche thing rather than it's not going to change the world of electric motoring. No, it's very
2: much toys for people that can afford toys yeah. In the case of small car, big city, you know this is a sort of proof of concept job. If it works for them, then presumably they'll do more. For private customers, I think Top Gear just published a review of the electrogenic Citroen DS. Did they? Lovely. Someone electrogenic one of those. I wish you could see
0: this, listeners, Zog's eyes. literally that was a beautiful thing that
2: was uh, me too they got a bit
1: bigger there didn't they (laughs) (laughs) oh hello this makes sense oh
0: that's heavenly I haven't
2: read the piece I saw it just as I was getting home to record this and then I got distracted by picture editing but I'm assuming it was bloody wonderful because like every electrogenic I've driven two electrogenic cars the conversion like the way you actually drive it works really well the 356's manual wasn't as slick as the MINI's, but that's because that was the 356's original gearbox.
0: Uh-huh. And the
2: MINI's was a Citroen C1 five-speeder. Oh, really? Um, so oh, it works. Okay. It just, yeah. it just yeah. works. Yeah. It's mass-produced. Yeah. How lovely. It's not the whole kind of Stuttgart, oh, let's see if there's a gear in there. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm very lucky to have had a go. And we're very lucky for having
0: shared that experience with you. That was lovely. We enjoyed that. I picture myself driving an electric MINI, and that's quite an appealing thing. Okay, well playing kind of sublime ridiculous you know which is which but alex i know you've also driven another car which is a british icon just like the mini they were even made by the same people for some time that's how they were born yeah and this one has grown in very much the same way that that little mini has grown to be a modern mini i'm talking about
2: the 2022 Range Rover. You've had yeah, a go. I had a quick go. So the other day, Gareth, you'll be familiar with the SMMT test day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go up
0: to Millbrook and a bunch of journalists there, whole stack of cars from all the manufacturers, and you have a bit of a drive round on whatever you can grab.
2: Yeah. So there's a similar one of that, but it's at Goodwood, and it's only for really expensive, fast cars. Nice. I like it already. So I went to that and, you know, Ferrari were giving passenger laps in the thing and Bentley had Continental GT speeds going around the track. There were road routes. There were things like that. So I had to go in loads of stuff including something i can't talk about yet but i can on the next one and it'll be an interesting Ooh. time i nearly broke an embargo a there a tease
0: i like it when you do that it'll be an
2: interesting time for all but yeah i also had a go in the brand spanking new range rover i knew its ancestors quite well having driven more than my fair share i think yeah yeah, yeah. which one was this the sv perhaps or no so this one i think was a deasley weasel and it's short wheelbase or long wheelbase the range rover it's just vast yeah Absolutely massive. That's just within sort of the legal limits to not be a bus.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Things yeah. I was
2: driving it around very little narrow roads in Chichester.
0: If we were still in the EU, I think it would be classed as a ferry, wouldn't it? An ocean-going yeah. oh. car ferry. It is
2: enormous. Oh yeah, it was massive. But the thing about it that got me was that how smooth it was, how little car there is to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a floater
2: we're entering this sort of realm of i want a vehicle that will propel me from a to b but i don't want to feel like i've been driving a vehicle i just want to be comfortable you know i'm not saying it's a car for people that don't like cars but it's a car for people that don't necessarily care about the driving bit but like the comfort bit
0: yeah you want to be in your environment sir come into here everything's okay so look we've got ceramics on the interior now wood that hasn't been varnished you'll feel relaxed here yeah would you like a bottle of fizz from the fridge in between the two rear seats if you want choose that option that's really what rover is all about it's luxury now isn't it
2: yeah luxury and lifestyle yeah. yeah every surface was beautiful every aspect of it was just stunning like if that was someone's living room You'd mm-hmm. be like, "Wow, this is mm-hmm. this is good." You live <laughs> yeah, in a yeah. nice house. You live in a very very nice house because there wasn't a blemish on anything.
0: I'm just thinking, my front room is probably like the original Fiat Panda. <laughs> Remember with the deck chair seats, you know.
2: <laughs> I've been in your living room. It's not like that. <laughs> um, but the thing that really got me was how disconnected you could be from the world so you got you know yeah. talking about the little mini with your manual gearbox even though it's electric and you're hurling around corners and having the time of your life because it's just brilliant Visceral. and in the range rover you're so separated from everything and everyone also the sheer size of it the thing that gets me or got me in this particular one it's a system shared with the defender so the rear view mirror can be a camera so if you've got people in the back there's a mm. camera but it's on the roof so if someone pulls in behind you, you can't see them if it's a small car.
1: Oh,
2: wow. and it's really disconcerting, because it's, it's the same with every camera system. Mm. The mirrors, like in an Audi e-tron, the wing mirrors are electric. Mm. If you move your head, you can't crane around to see more. You have to yeah. move the camera. The image. In the, yeah. in the e-tron, in the range, it's just sticking out back.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a different approach to using a screen, to mm. be able to reposition
1: with the mirror you just have to accept that that's the shot yeah 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 it's a different way of looking at you know it's a different way of checking that zone that you know i'm sure you adapt to but at mm. first it does take some adapting yeah it takes some adapting yeah, yeah. I, I, I
0: had it on the Etron Sportback as well yeah. that yeah you have to learn i think i mentioned it in the program and i reviewed it you have to learn exactly as zog said and it took me a little while yeah. you know but we, we drive lots of different cars most people you know they're buying this car they'll have it for i don't know three five years and because yeah if you can afford one of these you're going to turn your car around in three or five years but this will be the only car that they'll drive most of the time yeah. they won't even think about the mirror thing after
2: the first week yeah it's the vehicle that they use yeah. it's how they get around yeah. you know it's for all the desire for a massive sonorous engine that'll catapult you from naught to 60 in no time at all mm. actually it doesn't matter if that thing does 0 to 60 in 10 seconds because you're so high off the it. ground, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It is kind of luxury. It's that step before a Bentley, but it's something else.
0: And you know why, don't you? Why? Yeah, obviously there's more profit than the more expensive stuff, so the more luxurious, you know, you can make more. Mercedes have just said the same themselves. They're lessening their focus on smaller cars that can only get return on big cars. But also, the XJ has been cancelled, hasn't it? The yeah. electric XJ. So this is JLR's luxury brand now range rover yeah. which of course is what they've mm. always alluded to that discovery is what they call sports functionality or something,
2: and something uh, I can't, I, there, there it, were three pillars and i can't remember what they are yeah svr was the fast stuff mm. svx was the super capable stuff and sv autobiography was the luxurious stuff ultra luxury i can't fathom why they didn't call it svl but there must be some hilarious legal reason
0: So, have you studied the shape of the thing have you had a good look at all at the new Range Rover
1: not a super close look I honestly haven't seen a big SUV that I've liked the look of for quite a long time you know it's not a class of vehicle that I'm really very interested in and really have a lot of affection for generally. That said, Range Rovers generally, I mean, you know, with the Evoque when they went for that new kind of... You were a big fan of that, weren't you, the Evoque? Uh, I wouldn't say I was a big fan, but I liked it about as much as I was ever going to. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job of coming up with a clean, modern, elegant look for that that was also in the family style. I'd say that the 22 Range
0: Rover is more Nordic, Scandinavian than British
2: now. It's like a volvo it's very minimalist to the point of being barely there mm-hmm. i mean it's quite boxy yeah quite boxy but good <laughs> boxy but good even though it's something so big and so imposing when you mm. actually look at it the details are so pared back but so smoothed off as well mm. mm-hmm. the inside there's loads of space you could comfortably live in it i'm pretty sure someone will try at some point home on the range rover yeah we home (laughs) in the range it's a problem I had with now current range and the upcoming Range Rover Sport in that I took one look at them and went oh that's cool but I can't remember anything about them I've got like Mm -hmm. face blindness for them Mm -hmm. I know that they're good looking Mm -hmm. I know that they're like pretty things and they are objects of desire but if I close my eyes I can't really picture much better I can sort of do the rear lights of the new Range Rover Mm -hmm. sort of VU cup thing but uh, it 's kind of yeah.
0: everything is hidden as far as I can tell you know they 've taken out all the creases from the sides mm. it really is it's smoother an outline a simplistic drawing of a range rover and all the detail have been removed because stuff like the indicators are invisible until they illuminate they appear within this line now don't they and they've reduced the sort of graphic detail just ahead of the front door now to these almost like inverted u you know it's a graphic statement in terms of styling rather than folded metal there's an awful lot of Oh, there are so many creases on cars these days. Some of them yeah. are good, some of them aren't good. But this has is eschewed that entirely. It's like a bar of soap. Do you give me a shape of a Range over and a bar
1: of soap. I don't know why I'm doing a Northern Irish accent, but I am now. And all oh, there it is. It's in a quite a confident design, you know, rather, like I say, rather than being fussy and being messed up by unnecessary detail and unnecessary creases. Mm. Yeah, it's simple, clean elegant in as much as these things can be but like you say Alex it's hardly memorable no it's a big box that's got presents and it's also not terribly surprising like I say it's a good clean take on that Range Rover look yeah but it's uh. Eh. it's uh. okay so we have to
0: now decide I think we're gonna vote on this I think which would you say Alex was sublime and which was ridiculous explain your answer the mini or the Range Rover. Well, let's go for Sublime first. Which best suits that?
2: The Mini is the Sublime one because it captures the essence of the original and unashamedly fleeces it for everything it can, but electric. And it feels right. There are some cars you can think, well, maybe don't do that. But with the Mini, it suits it so well and it's so fit for purpose, which of course means the Range Rover is ridiculous because, well, it is ridiculous. It's huge! and it has all the systems and all the electrics and it's it's like driving a cloud except you don't really feel like you're driving you just sort of float along it's lovely but it's ridiculous okay so we got the first
0: sublime for the mini zog briefly which one are you going to give sublime to the mini or
1: the range Rover? give us your explanation the mini because well i think i've made my feelings about small city cars electrification and suvs pretty clear in the past so Mini every time. But that said, you know, I'm just going to say here that a complete binary, sublime, ridiculous thing... You know, it's going to be unfair <laughs> to both of these vehicles because I know that if I, if I had that Mini, I'd find some ridiculous stuff about it. And if I had that Range Rover, I also know I'd find plenty of the Sublime in it. Uh, you know what a bare-handed, <laughs> fair-minded <laughs> chap I am. So there we go. Hey, the truth, they
0: say, is often in between, isn't it? It's in the shades of grey, yeah. So we'll have to come up with a non-binary form of graduating it now. Sublickiness. That'll do. Nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> My answer, yeah, you're going to disagree with me, but I think, bear with me, the Range Rover is sublime. The fact that it can replicate the floaty cloud thing at such a high level, that's worthy of definition as being sublime. I would apply it to that. I genuinely think that that Mini is ridiculous. And as I like to say, What's wrong with ridiculous? That's a wonderful thing. I am a ridiculous man and I always have been. Ridiculous is good. Someone said, what's wrong with silly? Nothing wrong with silly. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Alex, thank you, man. Thank you and bye. And happy travels. And yeah, we'll speak to you in the next show. Bye. See you later. Bye. Gareth Jones on speed. USE BELCH! The new Aston Martin B-Spec 2022 Formula 1 car made its debut at the Spanish Grand Prix. The design of the car has been described by some as the Green Red Bull due to its extraordinary similarity to Red Bull's RB18. Some even went as far as accusing Aston of the theft of Red Bull's intellectual property. Despite the upgrade, Aston Martin were unable to show any marked increase in track performance. With yet another pointless weekend for Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel, perhaps they should have stolen Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen instead. Gareth Jones, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got a slightly husky voice because i had quite a busy weekend up in wales hosting a charity event which was a 10 mile hike along a beach so there was a lot of talking and i talked the whole time also hosted an event a very loud event on the friday night and then again on the saturday night so my voice is a little uh, bruised sorry about that but to compensate for that we have the gentle dulcet antipodean tones of sarah Lee. how are you Hello I'm very well thank you. You managed to see the Grand Prix at the weekend? I did manage to see the Grand Prix at the weekend live when it was in Barcelona. I was very busy as I was just explaining but I did manage to pause long enough to hook up with my great friend Gwynne Jones in North Wales who's also an F1 fan so I was able to focus on the race itself only but unfortunately missed all the build-up to it so I was a bit sort of parachuted in and it was a
3: great event, wasn't it, Sarah? It was. It was. It was really good. I did really enjoy it, and I was very hopeful for Charles Leclerc because he sort of came up there, and I thought he was going to go on and win it. It was. There was just so much happening in the end. There was a lot of stories that came out at the finish line from all of the drivers. But yes, it was quite respectable. And Barcelona have got a new stadium, don't they? They put a new stand rather. Yes. No, their new podium. Podium. They've <laughs> got an
0: amazing new podium, which replicates that famous shape of the Barcelona Circuit di Catalunya di Barcelona, which I think it's called in full now, which is kind of really cool and nice. It was almost like a Greek tragedy, this race, though, wasn't it, Zog? There were so <laughs> many pitfalls along the way, heart-stopping moments. And of course... Charles Leclerc dignified in an awful moment,
1: wasn't he? See? Yeah, certainly a tragic weekend for Leclerc, as you say, who was looking absolutely set fair to run away with that race. But Verstappen didn't have it all his own way. I mean, he had a little rare mistake, which I think we could say maybe it was a bit of bad luck with a gust of wind at the wrong time that pushed him off the track, but maybe a little mistake in not anticipating that better. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And his DRS troubles, that must
0: be really frustrating.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It hardly fell into his lap after Leclerc had his problem. But it was wonderful to see such a good scrap between Leclerc and Russell. They were having a really good fight and it was clean, skillful driving. Yeah. Credit to both of them for keeping it clean and giving us a really good fight there. Further back down the field, there was also plenty going on. It's easy to miss actually how good a weekend Lewis Hamilton had, given the early incident with Magnussen to have come back from the back of the field to finish fifth. Yeah, heroic.
3: He got driver of the day. He was supposed to drive the day, Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah, rightly so. And actually, he he was was very sportsmanlike in his interviews after. So he, he was very impressive, Lewis Hamilton.
0: He was. I have to admit, I was starting to think... Has Lewis lost a little bit of his mojo because of the misery of the end of last season and the disappointment of this car? And then George coming in and seemed to be able to get on top of it better than him and having better luck than Lewis. You know, has that actually affected Lewis's mojo? And I was starting to think, can he do it as good as George? I have to admit, I was thinking that. But, you know, to drive without any safety cars from the position he was in, ultra-last at the end of the first lap, to finishing fifth, wasn't it, in the end, when he had a a technical problem which cost him a place. That was as heroic a drive as I've ever witnessed
1: by Lewis Hamilton.
0: And it's lovely to see that again.
1: Mm. Yeah, great recovery. And, you know, like you, I've been wondering, given just how well George Russell has been doing, how long Hamilton might carry on for in so many sessions this year... Russell has been quicker than Lewis, and that's not something we're used to. It's incredibly rare. Yeah. But for me, this weekend showed that Hamilton hasn't lost it. He might have maybe had a bit of a mindset problem going into this year with struggling with the car a little bit, and maybe that's affected his mental game. But no, from what we saw this weekend, no, he's still got it. And also, Mercedes have... Clearly, started to get on top of the issues they've had with the car. Mm, hooray for that! Maybe this is turning into a three way scrap, not a two way scrap. Mm. But at the sharp end, the Leclerc Verstappen battle got that little bit closer and that little bit hotter this weekend. Mm this season, I think, is really going to deliver. This is going to be a good season. I want to take this conversation somewhere else in a moment, but
0: before we do that, Sarah, we always have an eye for our favourite Anglo-Australian team, or Anglo-Antipodean team, perhaps to be more accurate. McLaren, Danny Rick and Lando Norris, their story was heartbreaking too.
3: Yeah, Lando Norris, he had hay fever over the weekend, but then it wasn't hay fever. They couldn't quite work out what it was. They said he, he got tested multiple times for the coronavirus. Maybe it's the new monkey virus or whatever it is that's going around at the moment oh no monkey pox. oh no I don't know could you imagine
1: he was poorly anyway He was. yeah
3: he was but he did very well and then I think Daniel Rick Re- what was his issue because Landon Norris ended up overtaking him and finishing ahead of Daniel which I think Daniel wouldn't have been too pleased about given Lando was actually mm. physically unwell.
0: I saw Zach Brown being interviewed. Incidentally, it was diagnosed as tonsillitis, I believe, after the event. We now know he's got tonsillitis. Oh, that's it.
3: Okay.
0: And during this interview, Zach Brown said this. He also said that Danny Rick, I think he said, didn't have another good day in the office. I may have misquoted that. That's what I remember hearing. He may have said, didn't have a good day in the office. But... A kind of something the back of my neck hackles stood up, it was like alarm bells that didn't sound fully supportive from Zach Brown at that moment. I'm worried for Danny
1: in terms of retaining his seat in that I car. I don't think there's an imminent danger of that. I think Zach Brown had also said recently made it clear that he's got a contract for 2023 and that they're yeah. still very much behind Ricardo, but if for the rest of the season. He's looking, you know, second best to Lando. Then, of course, they're going to reconsider. And five quid says it's going to be Patricio Award, Pato
0: Award, who runs in IndyCars, which is where I said I was going to take this conversation, right? I think there are some great drivers in IndyCar. We're looking forward to the Indy 500 this weekend. I know I am. I am really proper psyched. It's a spectacle, isn't it? Now, the theme of this programme is kind of sublime and ridiculous, which would you say was sublime, the Indy 500 or Formula One? Which is ridiculous, the Indy 500 or Formula One? Think about that as we discuss
3: the two cultures and how they're different, right? Expand on how we take the word ridiculous. What's ridiculous to you might be ridiculous to somebody else. Yeah. And me, for example.
0: And please use that, your interpretation of ridiculous, <laughs> in whatever judgment you make based on this. But I love the Indy 500. Culturally. It's different to Formula One. You know, Formula One is always very exclusive, whereas I think I've always said that Le Mans is inclusive. You know, that kind of egalitarian quality of Le Mans that pulls you in gives you better access. But in America, motorsport is much more of a, almost like a blue-collar sport, if I can call it that. And their pinnacle of that is IndyCar. But again, IndyCar is heroic in a you-can-do-this-too-buddy, kind of way. Whereas in Formula One we revere our drivers like gods. So there's a culture of the... You know, in America you'll get teams sponsored by the US Army. I don't know the Royal Navy ever sponsored a car in F1? Yeah,
1: well, but, okay, but I think that has something to do with broader cultural differences. American cultural rather than... I don't know that says anything about the difference between the sports. Mm. That says something about the difference between American culture and British culture. Or American yeah, culture and European yeah. culture.
0: There's an argument that says that Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport technology. Sure. Some of the stuff that they do in IndyCar is really clever. You see them going down the straightaway, or the straight, the way that they set up the car asymmetrically. It's not super high tech though, is it? I'm going to challenge the idea that that's super clever. But they're finessing it to a very high level. I think I've equated driving the Indy 500 before to kind of running along a beam. You know, the beam that you have in gymnastics, running along that flat out for two hours and the beam... Curves and wiggles, and you've got to go as fast as you can. You can't fall off. The slightest mistake, and boom, you're in the wall. And I think the edge that they're on is arguably closer to the edge that Formula One drivers are, because at maximum speed, they're in a car that's inherently unstable because their aerodynamics aren't as sophisticated as Formula One, and they finesse it. The only way they can finesse it is through the dampers. You know, (laughs) there are so many stock parts because it's more or less a one-make. Series, there are subtle differences, I know, but the dampers, the work that they're doing on the
1: dampers to compensate for everything else is incredible, really. It's
0: high tech stuff.
1: Well, yeah, it's a very different thing because the technology is more basic, and the number of things that the teams can play with are fewer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they've got a much smaller window of things to play with. Of course, the engineers are just as smart, yeah. The teams are applying just as much brain power to optimize the package they have, and of course, they're going to be optimizing what they have with a great deal of ingenuity and dedication and professionalism. I will sometimes watch the Indy 500, but I do not find it as fascinating as F1. I love oval racing. And that's partly because I think there's less technology in
3: there
0: yeah I like my technology in the sport it's the thing that attracts me to any sport with technology I have to admit Sarah have you caught anything of the Indy build up so far I
3: haven't actually I'm going to be honest I haven't but I do like the Indy 500 but I must admit I think Formula 1 is a little bit more I'll use the word ridiculous just because there's more going on Fair You enough. know, they've got, they've got the high profile yeah. manufacturers you know the Ferraris yeah. and the
0: yeah that's ridiculous so yeah, yeah and
3: then it's just all sort of um, yeah glitz and glamour and you know and what transport from the Ferrari cars into racing is the road cars as well like you've got the McLaren Racing they promote their road cars too was he Indy 500 doesn't necessarily have that relationship, I guess. It
0: does with the engines. They're either Honda or Chevrolet engines. Okay,
3: yeah. I didn't know that. So <laughs> but that's a fair point. Okay,
1: arguably more so, yeah.
0: But historically, it was even more so. I was just digging into the background of Indy. You're going to love this. You know, there's a lot of crossover. Lots of people in Formula One went to IndyCar. Um, Jim Clark. Many Clock, drivers from IndyCar uh, have come over hmm, to... Graham Hill. Formula One. Yeah. Mario Andretti, Emerson Fittipaldi, Takuma Sato. Alexander Rossi Ericsson Montoya Rochon currently Zanardi famously and tragically Villeneuve of course Graham Hill Graham Hill absolutely Justin Wilson another glorious Brit sadly someone who we lost, yeah, along with Dan Weldon, of course. The car that the driver's currently driving is named after him, it's the DW12. Mm. Picking up on something mm. that Ligier once did a similar thing, they changed the naming convention of their cars when Joe Slesher died. So, since then, all Ligiers were given the number JS, and of course, DW for the Dallara Indy car comes from Dan Weldon. Mm. Fernando Alonso. There we go. Of course. Nice one. Yeah, most recent transplant. This is the point I was going to make, Sarah, about known brands in IndyCar. The first Brit to win the Indy 500 was back in 1916. His name was Dario Resta. Okay. He was an Italian-born
1: Englishman. I wonder if he's related to Paul... I was going to say, Dario Resta is an intriguing sort of mashup of Dario Franchitti, Paul de Resta. Paul de Resta. (laughs) Hang on, has there been some sort of weird time travel thing just happened that some racing driver just kind of went back in time? Oh, here I am in Indianapolis. It's the weekend of the (laughs) Indy 500. Oh, I'll enter this. I need to make up a name. What name shall I make up? Oh, (laughs) Dario Resta, that'll do. So he won in a
0: Peugeot in the days when, you're right, you know, there were familiar names running. I never even knew that Peugeot ran at Indy. That's amazing. I also discovered that, well, you'll know this. You know when we use the
1: term, oh, that's a real doozy, when something's really good. Oh, it's a real yes. doozy. Oh, is that? You know where that comes from? Ah, well, okay. I didn't, but now that you've said this, I'm going to guess that it has to do um Duesenberg. Correct. A doozy refers to a Duesenberg, a I- early 20th century Racing car, well, and road car. Yeah,
0: which was so good, you know, and unbeatable. I mean, it won at Indy many, many, many times. Susan Berg's won, uh, I don't know how many, but a number of times. Wow, it's a real doozy. It wins the race, and that's where the term, a real doozy, comes from. Nice. I see. We've got more British connections, of course. Jack Harvey, Max Chilton, and Ben Hanley, I think, are all starting this race. All Brits. Forgive me if I've got that wrong. I'll check it. First Brit to win the series but he never actually won an Indy 500. Who am I talking about? A Briton, 90s, moustache. Mansell. Correct. Uh, Nigel yeah, Mansell, yeah. Mansell, Mansell, who Mansell. heroically won the Indy series by cart, was it called then? At his first attempt.
1: When he was he, still yeah. Formula One champion, I think. Wasn't he? Yes, Wasn't that's he, right. He, he Absolutely right. Still, yeah, He actually held both titles at the same time. Unique. You mentioned Jim Clark,
0: Graham Hill. So in total, it's been won eight times by five British drivers. Dario Franchitti got three, Weldon got two, Hill and Clark and Resta each got one each. Fantastic. And of course, Mark Blundell used to race in Champ Cars. You know, it's all part of the same family franchise. There was bifurcation, then they reunited. We went to a, a race at an oval. Do you remember, Zog? Yeah, at Brown's Hatch. Nope. Rockingham. We went to a Champ race at Brands Hatch. You were correct in that, but we also went to an oval. We went to Rockingham to see them run. We filmed. Oh there. yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I forgot. Paul that. Tracy was running. I think it was 2001. I got to interview Paul Tracy. Paul, how's the car?
2: <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> he had a voice like Mike Tyson. <laughs> How you <doing>? Paul Tracy. <laughs> Maybe his race suit was a bit tight. The Brits have got big connections with Indy as well. McLaren of course, run there. Lotus, very successfully. Lola, for many, many years. The most successful Indy cars were Lola's. March had a presence there. Reynard, Cosworth, of course. Engines until relatively recently. And did you know that the Penske chassis was actually built in Poole in Dorset? Not in America at all. So, sorry, I've gone a bit weird down the British-American connection on Indy there. That wasn't my idea. I was just trying to show that the connections between the sport that we know so well, Formula One, and Indy are quite deep. And of course, it was run as part of the Formula One Championship in the 60s, wasn't it? That's when Graham Hill won, yeah. I'm not
1: quite sure. Yeah, it was part of the FAA World Championship. You're right. I'm not quite sure when. You mentioned McLaren, though. Are McLaren running cars in this event? They are,
0: yeah. They've got three cars. One of them is Pato O'Ward driving, who I say is going to take Daniel's seat one day because he's exemplary. The second is Felix
1: Rosenquist. And the third one is Juan Pablo Montoya. Ah, well, I know who I am shouting for this weekend then. Definitely Montoya in a McLaren. He's starting no 30th, question.
0: which is way down there, unfortunately. Well, I have every faith in Juan Pablo. He can do it. Yeah. I'd like to see Award ward get this one. Uh, I'm not sure he can. Uh, there are too many variables, but it's
2: very, very, very
0: exciting. It really is. In the question, which is sublime, which is ridiculous... Sarah, I think you think Formula One is ridiculous, therefore the Indy 500 must be sublime. I'm going to have to interpret what you said. Is that right?
3: (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I think if I knew a little bit more um, or if I was more across Indy 500, I'd probably be able to have a bit more of a distinctive opinion. But yeah, let's go with that.
1: (laughs) Okay. Zog, which? Easy. They're both... One hundred percent ridiculous and one hundred percent sublime. I mean <laughs> come on, it's uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with you, Sarah. I think Formula
0: One is ridiculous. It's the Apollo space program of technology and motorsport and I love that and I do think that Indy 500 is sublime I think the car control those guys have and the finessing with the limited engineering to gain an advantage that's equally sublime Agreed You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed Zog I'm glad you agree thank you very much (laughs) indeed Sarah thank you Thank you Enjoy the Indy 500 I will too Seriously I'll catch you on the flip side dude or whatever it is they say They, They don't say that do they yeah. yeah, we do. Catch you on the flippity-flip. Yeah. yeah, on the flippity-flip. Yeah, I'll, I'll be down in, uh, uh, what do they call Gasoline Alley and pulling up into Pit Road. Yeah, That's Pit it. Road, not Pit yeah. Lane, Pit, yeah. road. pit, pit road.
1: road. Pit Road. Yeah. Pit Road. That's the, one of the very important differences between American and uh, UK motorsport. Pit Lane, Pit Road. I'm going to go and drink the milk. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.
3: For
2: information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whiz
0: Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!